This morning we're starting a brand new series called Read Your Bible. We do this typically every summer, which is kind of something we get to look forward to. And every summer we take a couple weeks to not just, uh, I mean, the, the, the series kind of tells you about it. The whole point of the series is to get you to read your Bible, right? And so we take a focus on a different area of the Bible or a topic or something like that. And this summer we're focusing on the book of Psalms. Okay, it's the big chunk in the middle that you've probably gone to every once in a while when you need to feel good about a situation or someone has something that got stenciled or you know, cross-stitched on someone's wall, you know what I'm saying? And there's a lot more to the book of Psalms than just kind of pulling out pithy statements or things to make us feel better in moments that we're walking through in life. And so we hope that going through this series not only helps us to understand the Psalms a little bit more, but helps us to integrate them into our spiritual lives in such a way to become a source of spiritual growth. And as we do every single time, we try to develop some resources for you guys. And this, uh, this time is no different. We've got a study guide that we've created for you. We've got some hard copies out in the lobby. You're going to get an email near the end of this service that'll have a download for that as well that kind of walks through and overview the Psalms as a whole. It's also got some discussion questions in there, which are great for either your group or maybe your family to talk about together. Um, th- and this is kind of produced, we've got a, a longtime partner, Jim DeShico, who produces these for us. So we're really grateful for that. So please do take advantage of that resource as we walk through this series together. But I thought it'd be helpful as we start to look at the Psalms to maybe answer a few key questions about just understanding kind of some context around the Psalms. So first, maybe like, what are they? Like, what are the Psalms, right? Essentially, it's a collection of lyrical poems, okay? And as you read it, you'll see there's a lot of imagery, a lot of metaphor. Some of the, you know, the language used or the, or the verbiage used can be a little confusing because it might be intentionally like uh, uh, pointing to images and, and pictures and like kind of, kind of painting a, a picture with words, you know? There's even some like literary devices it uses in the original language in the Hebrew that it was written in, like acrostics. Remember acrostics that made you write like in school where you'd write a word down and then you wrote like a, a word. Don't tell me I'm the only kid who did this, right? You know what I'm talking about? So like there are even a couple, po- there are even a couple psalms in this book that are written as acrostics using the Hebrew language. It's interesting to see how this wasn't just, you know, people getting together and kind of documenting a moment in time. The Psalms are a little bit different in that it's really an expression of what God's doing in these people's lives in this moment in time. It's also um, a composite work, meaning it's not one author. There's not just one person who kind of wrote the whole thing start to finish, like uh, one of the, maybe the Gospels that we see. It's a, a person's account of things that happened. The Psalms are a composite work. There's lots of different authors. Now, when were they written? Um, we generally accept that it's kind of between the time of Moses and between the time of Ezra. So Moses obviously leading the Israelites out of Egypt, Ezra being the one to kind of help rebuild uh, Jerusalem and kind of the walls and those things, uh, typically from 1500 to 300 BCE. So a, a pretty long span of time. Yeah, that's a long time to put together a collection of books. And, and kind of speaking to that who that we talked about a minute ago, who wrote them, there's lots of people who wrote them. Now, this is not truly exhaustive because we don't really know the answer to all of it because, as you'll see, some are still unattributed. But David, you know, King David that we talked about, I think we even did, it was either last year or year before last, we did actually read your Bible on the life of David. And so David was king of Israel. He's got a really incredible story 
of how some really high highs, some really, really, really low lows. And that, has, I think, is going to come into play in how we talk about the Psalms. But he wrote a ton of them, 73. Uh, Asaph, he's one of the main Levites that actually David appointed. So Levites were the ones who were kind of in charge of worship. When you hear Levite, I want you to think worship, okay? They were one of the tribes of Israel, or the, yeah, the Levites were one of the tribes of Israel. And that was kind of their job, is kind of to help lead worship and kind of to help organize that. So Asaph was one of them. Same thing with the descendants of Korah. They're the same kind of group of people. Uh, uh, kind of another uh, break on that. Solomon was David's son. Ethan and Heman, uh, the Ezraites, they're more towards the time of Ezra. Even Moses wrote one, right? So, I mean, it's interesting to see these different points in history and these different perspectives. And again, the rest are kind of unnamed. We don't really know exactly who they are. Um, how are they organized? How are the Psalms organized? Well, generally, they're organized into five books or collections. There's some loose themes associated with them. It's not like, you know, there's like hard uh, pressed themes and kind of outlines through this, how they were organized, but generally accepted there's five different books or collections. And by the time of Ezra, by the time it kind of got to that time in the history of the, the Israelites, the Psalter or the, the collection of Psalms has kind of reached its, you know, a final form, like how people understand and assume it to be spent together. Um, but why, I think this is probably the best question to ask, is why would we even spend time looking at the Psalms? There's so many other things we could look at, and we, we take this into consideration every year when we do read your Bible. There's all different things we could do, but why even take the time to focus on the Psalms during read your Bible? I think the first thing is that it's, it's just a picture of human experiences. Okay, it's a picture of human experiences. I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we can get kind of caught up, especially if you've been around for a while, and I'm guilty of this too. But as you're reading the Bible, you can forget that these were real people experiencing real things. You know what I'm talking about? And so in the Psalms, especially, I think, the guard is kind of pulled down a little bit because when you're using poetic language, when you're using these imagery or this imagery or metaphors or things like that, you're able to kind of share a little bit more than you might normally share. You know, So as we're reading through the Psalms, we're not just reading about concepts and like uh, uh, pithy points and things like that. It's actually in the context of the story that's being told there. It's actually the story of a person experiencing life and doing that through the lens of a relationship with God. Does that make sense? So through the Psalms, we're kind of getting a, a peek into the thought process and the mind and experience of lots and lots of different people. I also believe that art poems, you know, poetry, uh, literature, art can stir emotion, okay? And that's kind of a complicated thing within the context of a believer because we've even taught here that emotions are difficult because emotions will lie to you. That's true. True fact number one. True fact number two is God created emotions, right? So like, how do we handle those two things? That, that something that God created for us, right? These emotions that we feel, the anger, the an anxiety, nervous fear, right? These emotions, these real things will also lie to us, right? And so balancing that's a really interesting, you know, uh, uh, piece to, to play into this puzzle. But the fact that art stirs emotion, I think is a way that kind of, you might be, you might be reading one of these Psalms and you identify with a feeling someone's having. You ever read a really good book and you're so entrenched in what's happening because it feels like they're telling your story a little bit? Nod your head if you're with me. I think the Psalms do a lot of this because art is meant to stir emotion. And so as he's, this imagery, or there's a couple phrases in here that I'll point as we're going through a, a, a few Psalms today, I think really like it, it just kind of hits you in a place where it helps to stir up those emotions so that, and this is what I believe, 
so that you can process those emotions in a spiritual context. Does that make sense? You weigh those emotions against the truth of God, and that's where we can start to see growth in our lives. And then finally, I think one of the reasons it's important to go through this is because of the organizing worship through a shared experience. So like going through the history of the Israelites, right? There was no like website you could go to and find one of the popular songs everybody's singing right now. You know what I'm saying? There was no prescribed hymnal, you know, if you grew up that way, to where like we knew, you know, open a 245 and someone's like, yes, that's my jam, right? Like that didn't happen. <laughs> there, wasn't, there wasn't that experience for the Israelites. However, the Psalter kind of served that organizing purpose, because a lot of these psalms were used in a corporate setting. Some were even written for a corporate setting. Like, you'll read some of these, it feels like you're reading someone's diary a little bit, but other ones, you'll see there's even like a call and response, there's even like direction in the psalms as you're reading through them, because it's meant to kind of guide and organize worship through a shared experience, kind of like what we do here at church, right? Now, uh, we decided to organize the next couple weeks by looking at the psalms uh, through the lens of like the types of psalms that there are. Because there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of psalms, 150, there's a ton we could get through, right? If we're going to go through one front and back, it's going to be a long series, right? So we're trying to get through this in four weeks. So what we decided to do is kind of split it up into different types, okay? And this isn't an exhaustive list or like the ultimate list. And there's actually a lot of overlap between, you'll see even today, there's a little bit of overlap in different sections. But these are four that we kind of landed on. The first is royal or imprecatory, okay? That's a big fancy word for a kind of royal. It's where you're speaking, you're focusing on the, the kingness, the, the royalty of God, of him being king over all. The kingdom speech is a big, or the phrase the kingdom of God is a big part of, of that kind of language. So you'll see, we'll talk through some of the royal psalms. We're going to talk about laments, which is kind of processing sorrow or grief or sadness. What is it to take that emotion, that real emotion, submit that to God, to God's truth, and then to process through that. Does that make sense? Those are laments. We've also got wisdom, right? These are focused on like, those, those are ones that get cross-stitched. You know what I'm saying? Like these are things that we're meant to take and move with us in life to kind of inform our growth as we become more and more like Christ. And today, we wanted to start it off with kind of like the most general, uh, not basic, but I think when you think of Psalms, you kind of think of this idea of praise. Okay, Psalms, uh, can be categorized as, you know, uh, uh, being intended to use for praise, of praising God, right? But what is praise? Like, when you were to think about it, it's not just a time during service. It's not like a style of music. It's not, like, those are, those are aspects of windows to it. But when you look at, like, a definition of what praise is, the dictionary says that praise is to express one's respect, right, or awe or reverence, right, and gratitude, to express one's respect and gratitude. Praise is not just a moment. It's not just a feeling that you have. But I believe if you were to break it down to its core part, it's that praise is a response, okay? Praise is a response. So we talked about it being expressing that respect and that gratitude. You can't have that respect. You can't have that gratitude without first having an encounter with something that that respect or that gratitude can be directed towards. Does that make sense? So praise is just simply a response. 
And what does praise look like? Like, praise can look like what we were just doing a few minutes ago. That's a good example. It can look like singing, doing what you guys were doing just a few minutes ago. It can be someone being out in the middle of nowhere, just being silent and trying to listen to the voice of God. That can be praise. It can be being a great mom or dad at home. That's praise. Can I get an amen? It can be being at work and taking your work so seriously that everything you're doing for someone else, you're doing it for God as an expression of what he's done for you. Anything can be praise. It's not just a time or, or a small piece or a small perspective that we have. We have to open up our understanding of what praise is because as we look into the Psalms, it's not defined and it's not ex- exemplified through just a small window. It's a whole human experience, and that's what God designed us for. God created us so that we might reflect back to him the respect, respect and gratitude owed to him in praise. Now, finally, when you think about praise, it's not just a response. It's not just, you know, uh, uh, doing the, or or submitting the respect and and gratitude and response. But praise is not meant to be conditional. Praise is not meant to be conditional. More specifically, your praise isn't meant to be conditional. And what I mean by that is you get up on Sunday and your kids are crazy and you're having a fight with your spouse because the coffee wasn't ready, and crap, we're 15 minutes late, get in the car anyways, and you get to church, and you got a bad attitude anyways, you get the kids checked in, you come in here, you plant your butt, and there's already a song going, and you're like, I'm just going to listen this morning. I don't feel into it. You ever said that before? I know I have. Or I'm just not feeling it this morning. It doesn't, that's not my favorite song. But then they play your favorite song, you're like, okay, all right, that's good. Uh, now I'm ready. Your praise isn't meant to be Conditional. Take it outside of a church service. You've had a long week. You've had a rough day. You wake up the next morning late, and you sit down to read your Bible because you plan for it, and you're, you're trying to make this a part of your life, but it's a reluctant kind of moment in your life. And it's okay to admit these things. Like, it's not like the goal isn't to be perfect. The goal isn't to have a perfect batting average. The goal is to take these moments and to learn from them, to learn that it's not, your praise is not meant to be conditional. It doesn't have to have the right kind of coffee and the right type of Bible and the right time of day and your kids doing their thing over here instead of being in your lap. Your praise isn't meant to be conditional. And as we look through the Psalms, I hope you use that filter, especially today as we take a look at praise, that praise is not meant to be conditional, that as we're seeing these people, these real people experiencing real things, that their praise is not conditional. It's not waiting for the right time or the right feeling or the right situation even. They could be in a really bad situation and still choose to praise because our praise is not meant to be conditional. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, like that's a switch you flip and you're there and like that's just how I feel now. It's a hard and difficult thing to walk through. But I believe there's one thing we can do to make this more a part of our regular life. So how do we get there? How do we get to the point where our praise is not conditional? Very simply, we have to have a shift in perspective. If you think that praise is about having the right feeling or the right situation, and honestly, we wouldn't voice it this way, like you wouldn't tell someone about it this way, you wouldn't define it this way, but if you take a look at your life, I bet more than not, We have this conditional attitude when it comes to praise, to responding to God with respect and gratitude for who he is and what he's done. We have to shift our perspective because praise isn't about us. Praise is about God. Praise is about who he is and what 
He's done. In fact, I think the best way to, to, to verbalize this shift in perspective, we see in, in John, in the book of John, this is uh, chapter 3, this is verse 30. It says this, that he, God, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. In a nutshell, to shift our perspective, God must become greater and greater. We must see him for more and more of who he actually is and intentionally decrease ourselves more and more because what happens, especially in life, and this is true for any of us, in whatever you're doing, whether uh, you know, you're, you're running a business, you're, you're an employee, or you're uh, uh, primarily at home with the kids, or whatever it might be, what, whatever it might be in your life, as things start to be successful, define that as your kids. Your kids are doing great. They're awesome kids. That's not a bad thing. You're doing great at work. That's an awesome thing too. But what happens as we experience success is that kind of flips, is we become greater and greater, and we focus less and less on what truly matters because we start to believe the lie that the source of that success is ourselves. Does that make sense? And so what we have to do to shift that perspective, to instead of heaping praise on ourselves or on our children or on our successes at work or on our circumstances, you see what I'm saying? Instead of doing that, we have to shift our perspective. And instead of increasing ourselves, God must become greater and greater, and we must become less and less. And I believe another way that we help shift this perspective is by seeing the things that we walk through in life, the good, the bad, the hard, the easy, the whatever it is, we have to shift how we view that as well. And we see this in the book of Romans. It says this, and we know, and that's going to be an important part that we come back to, we know, it's not we think, we hope, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. It's not to work together for the benefit, like the success, as in like you're increasing, you're getting more, like it's awesome every time, it's successful every time. No, it's for your ultimate good. Even the bad thing you're walking through can be used for your good. That trial you're walking through right now can be used for your good. Not just can, but is meant to refine you. It's meant to develop your character. It's meant to help you become more and more like Christ. And when we have that perspective, he will naturally increase and we will decrease. Do you see this? So he must increase, he must become greater and greater, and we must become less and less. Now before we jump into the Psalms, I want to give you a couple practical ideas. Part of why we do this series is to give you some practical nuts and bolts for how to actually study your Bible. I think my approach this morning is going to surprise you a little bit. Before I get to that, let me give you two, okay? Two approaches to studying the Psalms. First, it's something called inductive method, okay, inductive method. This is really just a fancy way of saying, I'm going to read my Bible over and over. I'm going to read this passage over and over and try to take insight from it. Maybe I'm going to read other commentaries or the footnotes. Like if you look in your Bible, it'll kind of help kind of relate different parts of your Bible together. Inductive method is just really diving in to those pieces, right? It's, it's thinking those thoughts. It's trying to see what pops to the surface as I read this over and over again. So that's one way of going about it. You can kind of dig into the text if that's your personality. And I do believe that your personality, how God's designed you to be, is meant to help influence how you grow spiritually. That's part of why we do the Enneagram assessment with our growth track stuff. A little plug for that. Donnie does a great job Pastor Donnie does a great job of helping to frame how God's made you in such a way that it helps you understand how you're meant to grow. And I think that can be influenced by how you study. Does that make sense? 
So inductive method might be one for you. You might be like, no thanks, I'm out on that one. Another op uh, opportunity that we've talked about a couple different times over the years is the SOAP method. SOAP, okay, and SOAP is just an acronym. It stands for this. It stands for scripture, like you're going to read the scripture, whatever it might be. You pick a psalm, right, or you pick this section of a psalm, scripture. Then you got observation. You're going to read it once or twice, maybe, and kind of pull out, what, like, before I, what I do is I'll pray and be like, God, what's the one thing you want me to really pull out of this section, right? Like, what's the one thing I'm going to walk away with? And you kind of write that down. What's your observation? Then application. That's you take the observation and turn it into action, something you're actually going to do. Not just like a conceptual, like, I'm going to be more, da, 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 da. Like, okay, fine, Bible thumper. That's a cool application. But I'm talking about, like, make an application you can do tomorrow or, like, today. Does that make sense? Like, turn it into action words that you're going to apply to your life today. That's the idea there. And then finally, prayer, to kind of wrap up your time together. It's a, that's a really great, simple framework. I think it works with any part of the Bible. So SOAP or inductive method, those are really two good approaches to how we could study the Psalms. However, here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. So if, especially if you're new, okay, or if you're coming back, like you haven't read your Bible in a while, or you haven't never really dug into the Psalms, if you're new to the Psalms, here's my highly scientific method I'm gonna prescribe to you, okay? Here it is. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Like, don't feel like you've gotta have some kind of magical formula for how you're going to open the wisdom of your eyes and understand, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you put too much weight and too much pressure on yourself for how, what's going to come out of your experience of reading the Bible, you're putting it on yourself again to become greater and greater. Like, I'm going to devise this, I'm going to, by alchemy, you know, have this observation that I can then take and post on my Facebook wall. Nothing wrong with that. However, I want to encourage you, especially if you're new or just kind of coming back to it, don't overthink it. Just read. Just read. And ask yourself, like, what is God saying to me in this? Where do I see myself in this? Not so that we, you know, build ourselves up or whatever, but more so that as we experience life, we can use God's word as the filter we put our life through. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage you, just don't, don't overthink it as we're reading through these psalms together over the next several weeks together. So I thought it'd be helpful today if we went through a couple psalms that are focused primarily on praise and, and kind of breaking down, you know, what kind of praise are we talking about? It's not just, you know, a kind of general understanding of praise, but we can praise God for specific things. And I believe that when we do that, it helps us to further refine how we're thinking and how we're understanding God to be. And in turn, that's going to continue to help us grow in our faith and become more and more like Jesus. So, Let's start with Psalm 8. Okay, Psalm 8 primarily is praising God for what he's done. This is like looking back on your life, looking back on what God has done in your life, and praising him for that. Okay, Psalm 8's written by David. Um, and so let's, let's jump in and see what Psalm 8 has to say. So starting in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills all the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens, you have taught your children and infants to tell your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Continue on. It says this, When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you've set in place. Let's just stop there for a second. When's the last time you've slowed down enough to consider what's around you in life? And as a result of slowing down enough, what we're doing is we're allowing God to speak into those moments. This dude's just looking at the sky, and instead of just having a moment where he's seeing it and moving on from it, 
He's able to think his thoughts. He's able to process. And in processing and experiencing that life moment, he's able to turn and praise God for what he's done in creating all of this, acknowledging that God's the one who set all these things in place. He continues and he says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Continues on in verse 5, says, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. Hang there for a second. He's referring back to creation, right? He's, he's referring back to the fact that God created all things. He's looking at the sky. He's having this moment where he's, seeing, he's feeling really small. And if you haven't done something recently to feel super small, I think it's time. I think it's a healthy thing to put yourself in the perspective we were talking about. Doing something to make yourself feel small is only going to help you with that regard. And so what he's doing here is he's remembering back to not just what God's done, but the fact that God would have looked at people and said, not only am I going to create you, not only am I going to breathe my breath into your lungs and give you life, but I'm going to set you over all the things I've created, and I'm going to make you the image bearers of God. You are those who are on my creation or in my creation who are going to share the image of God. That's incredible. Like, what an incredible thought. Continues on. It says, The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals and the birds and the sky and the fish and the sea and everything that swims in the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. He's praising God for what he's done, for where he's been, even from the very beginning. And if we're not consistently taking the time to look back, and maybe this is kind of a, a macro view, like a very big lens, big picture view of looking all the way back, that's one way to do it. But I think we have to look back in our own lives. We have to look back into what God's done in your life that you can remember and give God respect and awe and reverence and gratitude praise for what he's done. So we praise God for what, what he's done. We also praise God for who he is, and we see this in Psalm 145. Again, this is David who wrote this, and, and I think what this does, what these kinds of, of praise psalms do for us, where we praise God for who he is, his character, what this does is it gives us ammo, okay? And here's what I mean by that. When you're experiencing those emotions we were talking about earlier, right? When you're experiencing fear, when you're experiencing anxiety, when you're overwhelmed, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, even justifiably so. When you're experiencing those emotions, one of the best ways to process those emotions is to, is to put those up to the lens of the truth of God. And if we remember who God is, his character, it helps us to be able to, to, to filter through those emotions and see what is true, what is not true. So we praise God for who he is. This is, again, Psalm 145 says this. I will exalt you, my God, my King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every single day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is the most, most worthy of praise. And I think this is an idea, this whole idea of, you'll read this, this phrase, worthy of praise, even in Revelation where we see at the end of time and, and we come to the full realization of who Jesus is. And all throughout scripture, we see this, this idea of worthiness. And I think we, we can forget sometimes, it's not just that Jesus was good, it's that he was worthy. 
That's why he walked the life he did. That's why God put him here to take our sin on himself. It's not just because he was good. It's not just because he was able to live a perfect life. It's because he's worthy. We have to remind ourselves of that. That is why we praise him, not just because of what he's done, but because of who he is, because he is worthy. It says no one can measure his greatness. It goes on to say this. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power and I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Again, the bigness, the greatness of God continues in verse 6. Your awe-inspiring deeds, the things you've done in my life that caused me to go, wow, right? The things in my life will be on every tongue. I will, I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness they will sing with joy about your righteousness. It's not just the things that he's done. It's the things that he is. He is righteous. He is good. It continues in verse 8, this. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Just that one sentence you should write down on a note card. And every time you're feeling doubt or worry or fear, this should be one of the first like pieces of who God's character is that you should remind yourself of, that he is merciful. He gives mercy freely. He's compassionate. He showers us with compassion because he understands us because he's lived this life. That he's slow to anger and he's filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. It continues in verse 11 saying this, they will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds, again, who you are right now, what you're doing right now, and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout the generations. A little bit of the, the royal and precatory type stuff kind of fitting in here. You'll see a little bit of the overlap. But I love this. If you, if you take nothing away, take this piece out of verse 13 with you. It says this. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. When you're feeling anxiety, when you're feeling fear, when you don't feel like praising God, this is what we need to remind ourselves of. Not a brainless whitewashing of religious whatever, but this is the truth of my experience with God. I hope it's the truth of your experience with God, because this is the God that I know that in every single instance of my life, he always keeps his promises. It's not a, I hope he does, or I wish he would. But because he's gracious in what he does, I don't deserve. That's what he means. When you see the word gracious or grace, the whole idea there is you don't deserve this, and he does it anyways. That's the graciousness of God. So when we experience those emotions, those times, this is how we can praise God, even though you don't feel like it, even though you're frustrated, by reminding yourself of the truth of God. We can praise God for who he is. Again, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but these psalms, our praise, also shapes our worship. So as we look at these psalms, especially this is Psalm 98 we'll take a look at. This one's unnamed. We don't know who wrote this one. But as we look into this, you'll see lots of different moments and lots of different expressions of praise, of what does that look like, kind of like we were talking about earlier, of how, what does praise look like. So this is verse 1. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. Let me talk to the folks who've been around the church for a, a, a minute. I don't know about you, 
but it can feel really difficult sometimes to sing a new song when you feel like you've just kind of been doing the thing for a while. Nod your head if you're with me. Especially, like, just to get really literal, like, even when you're in church, it can be hard to catch on to a new song. But I think because God's doing new things in you, we should be singing new songs about experiences, about things that God is entering us into in life, things he's walking us through in life. And if you're finding it hard to sing new songs, maybe you're not allowing God to do those new things in you. That's something we have to look at. So we praise God by singing new songs. His right hand has won a mighty victory, and his holy arm has shown his saving power. Continues on here. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Two things right there, shouting and singing. Those are two expressions of praise. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the and melodious song, with trumpets and with sounds of ram's horn, and joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Let's stay here for a second. There's one, two, three, four, five, six different, seven with a horn. Seven different expressions of worship just in this one little section right here. Worship doesn't look like one little thing. Praise doesn't look like one little thing. It can be lots of different things. It can be a solo thing that you are shouting to the Lord, that you are singing. It can be something we do together. A joyful symphony is not made by one person. That's a collection of people singing the praises of God together. Continues in verse 7, says this. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. It's not just the, the, the literal pieces, like the, us singing and us shouting and, and us humans doing this, but even nature, like the, the, you'll see imagery of like the rocks are crying out. Like even the rocks cry out. Because everything was created to praise God. Every single thing. And as we look through the Psalms, as we understand what praise is, we see the Psalms directing us to understand how we are to worship. And I wanted to close this kind of look through the Psalms with, with, through the lens of praise by really leaning into this area of emotion we talked about earlier and what it looks like to praise in sadness or in depression or, or in desperation when you're hurting, when you're grieving? Because I think that's one of the hardest times to turn and praise God because it can feel so insular. Like, have you ever been like with, if you have kids, have you ever been with your kids and like you're doing something and like you stub your toe, right? Like just get real for a second. Like you stub your toe or something gets dropped on it or probably one of the kids threw something at you. I don't know. Something hurts, right? What's your like base reaction is to turn to yourself, right? Like, even if something's going on with your kid, your first, like, lizard brain reaction is to turn to yourself. So I think a lot of times when we're experiencing sadness or fear or desperation, our instinct is to turn inward to ourselves. Remember, he must become greater and we must become less. In times of sadness or difficulty, I think our instinct is to flip that. Because we want to and we need, you know that word? We need to focus on ourselves. I need to work on me. I need, I need to spend some time. You've heard that before. You may have felt that before. And I think, it's, I think feeling that is a part of the human experience, but I think our response as followers of Christ is to then turn and give that back to God. And so Psalm 13 uh, uh, talks a little bit about this. Again, this is David. And I think this is a really good picture of, of someone who's in a really difficult place, 
but ultimately turns to praise God and what that looks like. So this is verse 1. It says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? Come on, man. I mean, let's slow down a little bit. Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? God, like how much longer? Come on. I mean, you feel this sense of desperation and, and, and like frustration with God. That's what he's doing here. He's putting it on pen. He's, he's putting it on paper, these emotions, this feeling of just anguish and just being over it, Right? So he's, he's taking this emotion and he's putting it to the lens of God. He continues on in verse 3. He says this, Turn and answer me, O Lord, O my God. Restore the sparkle of my, to my eyes or I will die. Again, being a little dramatic here, but he's really like just saying how I'm feeling, how I'm thinking. You know how like when you're a teenager, like if you don't go to that thing, you're going to die? Like I feel like there's a little bit of that here, but maybe a little more. Um, he continues by saying, Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Do you see what he's doing here? He's turning it back to himself a little bit. Like, God, don't let this happen because I'm going to look bad and these people are going to look down on me and I'm not going to look as great. We see the balance here changing from he must become more to where David's trying to goose the scale on this side a little more. Do you see that? Which is a pretty normal thing. I've done that. I've felt that. But here's what he does at the end of this psalm. He takes that perspective and he shifts it. And I feel like this is part of how we're called to live our lives, is that we may walk through trials, we may walk through difficult times. We're going to feel emotions, we're going to be overwhelmed, we're going to feel exhausted. But in those moments, the goal isn't to be perfect. The goal isn't to have the perfect, you know, emotional lizard brain response to every single thing I believe that what God calls us to do is to take those emotions, take those moments, those fears, those anxieties, and turn it back to him. Put it against the lens of the truth of God. And that's exactly what he does here in verse 5. He says this. This is what David says. But, even though all that, even though God, I feel like I'm going to die, and I don't want myself to look bad, and all these things, he shifts. And he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. And I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Not will rescue, but you have. Like what he's done for me already. He's remembering what God's done for him. He's rescued him already. And finally he says, I will sing to the Lord. Because why? Because he is good to me. Because he understood implicitly, David understood implicitly, the idea that's going to be written years and years later in the book of Romans, that God uses all things for the good of those who love him. It's not about having the right answer and the right response in the moment for everything. It's about taking that experience and hopefully over time seeing growth and change in your life so that you might slow down a little more. You might be more apt to raising God up higher, pushing yourself down lower as a response rather than a reminder so we might become more and more like Christ, that he would become more, and that we would become less. Because guys, remember, our praise is not meant to be conditional. Your experience, your emotions, your life, the things you're walking through are not meant to color 
our ability to praise, not meant to hinder our ability to praise. Because he's good. He's gracious. He always keeps his promises. We take all of our experiences, all of our emotions, our fears, our anxieties, and we put those through the lens of who God is, that he's faithful. And that even in the midst of all this, we can still make a choice to sing. I've got two young girls, six and four. It's awesome. And one of the things we talk about a lot nowadays is the importance of understanding a choice, right? Because your behavior is a choice. I don't have to do that. Nod your head if you're with me, parents. Yeah. The way I'm feeling sometimes can be a choice, especially when you recognize the feeling you're having. It's a choice. And I believe that's part of what we're talking about here with praise is remembering that even though I'm walking through this, I can still choose to praise God because he is good to me. That he might become more and more. That we might become less. So I want to challenge you, even just this week, find a psalm. Just find one. Even if it's one that you've read a million times before. For me, it's Psalm 51. Talks about, it's David talking about a time in his life where he just did some really terrible stuff and he's coming to grips with what he just did. And his response is to own it to an extent, because he kind of doesn't always do that, but to an extent, but then to turn and praise God even as a result of that. So find a psalm like that for you and just process it through that lens. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? How is it helping me to understand how I can praise God? in any condition, in any situation, that we can take our experiences, our emotions, submit those to the truth of God so that we might have him increase more and more and that we would decrease in our lives. I hope that's true for you over the next several weeks that you jump in. I really want to encourage you to jump in and grab that resource that just got emailed to you um, or that's out. We've got the hard copies out in the lobby that you can take with you. Because, guys, the whole point of a series like this is to get you to what? Read your Bible. We want to demystify it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a professor. You have to be a willing disciple. And I'm telling you, if you just spend time in the Word of God, it's a living and breathing thing that will breathe life and change into your life. Not because it's a cool collection of pithy sayings, but because it's the Word of God speaking into your life. You want to learn how to increase Him more and more, how we decrease more and more? Read your Bible. I want to encourage you to take the next four weeks and just try it. Just see what happens. Take a psalm a week and see what He does with that. Pick a method that works for you and jump into it. Believe and trust, just like David said, in any situation that he is good. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for this morning. God, mostly we're grateful for your word. God, that you would have the foresight and understanding to know that, that, the, that your words to us would be like living water, God. That it would be refreshment, that it would be direction, that it would be correction. God, I'm grateful that you, you did not leave us to our own devices. God, that you cared enough about us to, to God, set that in place for us. That as we look at these people and the times that they live, the experiences they walk through, God, would you help us to see that our praise is not meant to be conditional. 
God, that we would be people who choose to praise you in the good times and the bad times, in the hard times and the light times. God, that we would choose in turn to praise you. God, would you become greater and greater when we become less and less? God, help that become a reality in our life as we shift our perspective to understand that, God, you work all things for the good of those who love you. God, help us to understand that hard truth and to, as we walk through difficult times, God, that we would put our emotions, our experiences, our feelings, that we would, we would put those through the lens of the truth of who you are and who you've been and who you continue to be for us and to us. God, change us as we look into your word. Help us to grow to be more and more like you every day. We pray all this in your name. Amen.